0: the message that we're preaching today. We've been in a series entitled Countercultural, and this is the fourth part of that message. And um, we've been handling different parts of the journey with Christ, um, from hope last week to living a countercultural life, and all different types of portions and parts of the journey that we call faith. And, um, and we're doing it not for the sake of being different, or not for the sake of being argumentative, or not for the sake of just saying, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be different than any, everyone else, except for the fact that just attempting and trying to be biblical followers of Christ. You know, Jesus himself, he taught counterculturally to what they believed in scripture to be truth and he when he arrived on this on the scene he he spoke completely differently than anything they've had and we're going to dissect a little bit more of what Jesus had to say counterculturally next week in um, the fifth part of this message but he he took everything from it being an outward display of sin an outward display of struggle and he made everything a matter of the heart and how important it was for the heart to be changed. and uh, that, that's going to be next week's message. I don't want to get ahead of myself too far. but so even Jesus taught and believed and lived counterculturally. And so today we're going to spend some time talking about countercultural faith. You know last week, we talked a little bit about hope, and today we're going to talk about faith. And actually, this we're going to break this message into two parts this week and next week. and so but in order to talk about the type of faith that I believe is definitely countercultural, we're going to look at a popular story and popular character in scripture by the name of Joshua. Joshua was, um, he's one of my absolute favorite characters in all of scripture. And so before we get to the idea that I want you to walk away with this morning, I want to um, set this up for you a little bit, give you some context, because that's one of the most important things when it comes to studying scriptures and understanding the message that God has for you is the context in which it's all taking place. And so here we have Joshua, who was a mighty man of God and came up under Moses' leadership. And in Joshua chapter 1, the very beginning, I'm going to read to you the, very first, the first nine verses um, as, as, as we set the stage in context for what I believe God wants you to hear this morning. And it says in, in chapter, nine, uh, chapter 1, verse number 1, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said... Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set, your set foot, you will be on land I have given you from the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Imagine, imagine that encounter with God, and that's his words to you. When he's saying, hey, wherever you step is going to be land that I've given you. Whatever you speak is going to be what I have called you to speak. Whatever you do, I am going to walk with you and I will never leave you or abandon you. And then he goes on in verse 6. He says, be strong and courageous for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Then he goes on in verse 7. Be strong and very courageous Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Verse 9, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So Moses passes away. Joshua has this encounter with God. And these are the words that God speaks to him. There is a theme that you can find through these nine verses of scripture. And the theme is very simply to be strong and to be courageous. And understand that God is walking with you in this journey. It's pretty interesting to see he he starts out in those first five verses and virtually promises everything that he promised Moses. He said, I'm going to be with you. The land is yours. They had already spied out the land and understand how unbelievably special and glorious this land was. And so Joshua was one of those ones who's like, hey, this is ours. God gave us this land. We can take it. While others had a different report to and fear struck their hearts. He was the one that was courageous saying, this is the land that God has given us. We can take it. And so in those first five verses, God is just, he is just admonishing him and telling him, hey, you've got this. I'm walking with you. But then he goes on and says three different times to be strong and to be courageous. Courageous. You know, sometimes we get these things a little twisted because sometimes we have this idea that God promised us something, whether it is in our time of prayer our time of worship or our time of reading scripture, that God has promised us something and we are holding on to that promise, expecting for it to come to pass. But usually, typically we expect for it to come to pass with very little opposition, very little struggle. But yet, three different times, so God told Joshua, Hey, I've got you. I'm covering you. You're going to take this land. But then, three different times, he tells him to be strong and to be courageous. Matter of fact, in one of those, he said, Be strong and very courageous, suggesting you're about to face something that's going to be difficult and you're going to have to be courageous. Matter of fact, not actually going to have to be courageous, you're going to have to be very courageous. And so this is the theme that you can find all through this. And it doesn't matter. that. And what he's saying is it doesn't matter where you go. He's going to go with you. Most of the time, he's going before you. I mean, that's even Jesus when he came and he left. He says, I must go to prepare a place for you. So God has not been in a habit from the very beginning of going before you. Even with Moses, when Moses was leading the nation of Israel out of captivity and out of slavery, he said to them, who should I say is sending me? He said, tell him, I am is sending you. So I am, God had already gone before Moses to prepare for what he was about to experience. And so what you can also find in this passage of scripture is something that is of probably the utmost importance in experiencing the promises that God has for us. See, we, we separate some of these things, and I, I believe it does us more harm than it does good. But we look at the promises of God, we hold on to what they say, yet we struggle to see why are some of these things not coming to pass. The reality is, some of them could very well be a timing issue. That God's timing is not your timing. But there's another piece that is just, I think, just as important as God's timing. And he lays it out for us. And he says, which is the other, one of the other major themes in the scripture, is there is an obedience factor that is necessary. See, that's the part we oftentimes leave out. Is this idea of being obedient. Because obedience means I don't get to do whatever I want to do. And if we're just being honest and real, that's what we want. We want to do what it is we want to do. I don't want some pastor up there telling me how I have to walk out my faith. If you're a kid or a teenager, you don't want your parents telling you how to, ha- how to make decisions. You don't want them telling you to clean up your room. You don't want to tell them you to do the dishes. If you're an adult and you work a job, you don't want your boss telling you how to do your job. This is, this is humanity as it is as a whole. We don't want people telling us what to do. So when the word obedience is spoken people's ears start to shut off, their toes get all curled up because they're tense and frustrated, and they're like, uh-huh, now he's going to tell me that I have to do this, and I have to do that, and and, and, and that's, that's our mentality as it relates to obedience, which then causes a stumbling block in our walk with Christ. Because now we have put this idea that obedience is okay. So, matter of fact, in this society, we, we believe things like this, like, well, I, I don't really need to dedicate myself to the church you know, I don't have to go to church to be a believer, and, and it's, it's not that big of a deal. I'll just go when I feel like it, or I'll go when I have time, but if something comes up, it's, it's okay. Or they will say, you know, what? I really don't want to be generous. I mean, why do I have to be a generous giver anyway? This whole tithe thing, what are you talking about the tithe? Is that even a relevant concept today? Does it even make sense? Does it even have any purpose whatsoever? You know, again, these are statements or thoughts, maybe not statements we make, but thoughts we definitely have. We just say, oh, you know what, I'll give whenever I get to church. I get to church, I'll give, you know, the bucket will pass by, or the offering plate will pass by, and I'll I'll drop a little something, something in there, you know, got to give God his due. But we do this, and so many more things, and I say we, I mean, I'm lumped into the we in in several of these things. We do this, and here's what we do. This is the danger of it. We do this, number one, everything, the two things I just mentioned could directly are contrary to Scripture, Scripture teaches very, very clearly on both of those things, but we do this and many other things that are contrary to Scripture in the name of, well, God knows my heart. And and let me just help you out for just a moment. Please, 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 dear brothers and sisters, do not reside yourself and to suggest that, well, God knows my heart, because here's the reality. He does know your heart. And if your heart isn't for his house and your heart isn't for him in extravagance and giving and your heart isn't towards obedience, then he does know your heart. And it's dangerously considered, might be considered to not be in alignment with his heart. And, and, and And not to strike fear because that's not the type of preacher that I am, but there is a passage of scripture in all the Bible that scares me more than any other passage in all of scripture. It's not even the passage that denotes how real hell is or how real the devil is. It's the passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. That passage of scripture scares the daylights out of me because people approach Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, they acknowledge who he was, that he is Lord. And they say, Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many miraculous things in your name? So, walking around, folks, casting out demons and prophesying in the name of Jesus. And his response to them was Mike's paraphrase go away. I have no idea who you even are. Which suggests that we can actually acknowledge that he is Lord and we can actually perform miraculous things because he is Lord yet not have any idea who he is, and him have no idea who we are. I don't know about you, but that's a passage of scripture that frightens me a little bit, that leads me a lot closer to wanting to be obedient. If the Bible says it, I'm going to live it, and I'm just going to let God sort the rest out. Because that's, that I know is going to keep me connected to him. So Joshua here is being told by God, trust me, be obedient, study the word every day and every night. After all, this is what it takes to be successful And have prosperity in everything you do. And at the end of the day, that's what we want. We want to be successful. We want to have prosperity. We want that whatever we put our hands to, to work and to be blessed and to function properly. And we want that out of life. The challenge is we don't really always want to trust Jesus. We definitely don't want to be obedient and study the word. Eh, Day and night even. I don't know. It sounds like a lot of work. So, but hearing from God in this situation, knowing that he's about to take possession of all that God has promised him and his ancestors, I'm sure brought along several emotions in him. I'm sure he felt excitement. I'm sure he felt powerful. I'm sure he also felt some fear. I'm sure that there's some emotions that came along with understanding we are about to do something that, that Moses himself wasn't able to do. And so he's, he's given this, this, this message, and so we have to look at it and say, well, how does a message like this from God help us when we feel powerless or when we feel weak? And I believe that feeling weak and feeling powerless, is, it, it may very well be a reasonable response to what you're facing. I'm not suggesting that it isn't, but what I am thinking is David, in, in all of David's accomplishments and exploits, he probably had at least a moment of fear or a moment of doubt or a moment of, what, is, what did I get myself into when he first looked at Goliath and said, that's a big man. I'm a ruddy boy. That's a big man. You know, and then of course, what rises up in him? Faith. And who God said that he was rises up in him. And of course, he would slay that giant. And even Joshua, and as we get to the story that I'm going to share, that is going to really lead us into this idea of countercultural faith. Joshua, who's facing the five kings of the Amorites, he's completely and totally outnumbered. It's not even close in numbers. As he is looking down the barrel of facing five enemies, five armies with his one army. I'm certain there had to be a moment that he looked out at that army and said, Whew, man, that's a lot of people. Five armies? And that's just, like I said, that, these are the natural things. But here's the crucial point to keep in mind in all of this. And that crucial point to keep in mind in all of this is found in Zechariah chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. The Bible says, Then he said to me, This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength but by my spirit says the lord of heaven's armies so whenever we face that fearful moment we look in the, we're looking at that moment in our own flesh we're looking in that moment at our own doubts our own fear we're filtering it through all of our own issues that we've ever had in our lives And maybe I'm the only one, but I I remember very clearly a time in my life when I looked at a particular person who was leading me, and all I saw was my struggle and my fight with my father. So everything that person said was filtered through that struggle. And I didn't see anything else. I didn't hear anything else. So even in that moment, when you're faced with that, you have this fearful moment. It's you're filtering it based on your experience, based on what you think or believe about yourself. And there's a whole host of things we could talk about there. But he tells him it's not going to be by your strength. It's not even going to be by, your, by any force. But it's going to be by my spirit that you accomplish these things. And so Joshua's having this moment by the Spirit of God, what I'll call by the Spirit of God moment. And so it's really gonna be important for you in your walk with Christ, especially in this journey of countercultural faith, to understand as it relates to accomplishing impossible things, because here, here's the reality. The reality is every single person in this room was called to accomplish the impossible. It's just true, it's just fact. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things means all things. Impossible things, easy things, difficult things, hard things. You can do all things through Christ. And so it's, under, it's important to understand that for us to accomplish what God wants to accomplish, for us to have this kind of faith that we're going to talk about in just a second, we have to allow God's power to flow through us and use us. Not by our own might, not by our own power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. That is the expectation. That is how accomplishment takes place. That is how things change in the atmosphere of your life. So let's get to this story. This is perhaps, when it comes to faith stories, one of my favorites in all of Scripture. Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10. It'll be up on the screen. If you want to turn to it, you can. I'm going to turn to it real quickly here. Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 through 14 And this is what the Bible says. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel, and he said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. Then it says, so the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Joshua? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky, and it did not set as an, on a normal day. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. I love this passage. I love this image of faith because it's this idea that is just so outlandish and so ridiculous that there's this battle raging and Joshua knows that God has given him the given him the land. He knows that He has given him victory over the Amorites, and he's looking out at the battle. And he's looking out at the army, and he's saying, looking up at the sky and looking at the battle, he's like, "Man, there's not going to be enough daylight to finish this." And he and he knew inside, I gotta, we have to finish this battle today because once the sun sets and it becomes dark, it's not like battles today where we can light up the sky and make it look like daytime. With light, it's not like that, and it wasn't like that back then. That armies had the opportunity to regroup when it was dark; they had the opportunity to flee and then regroup. And I, I, I believe, and this is again, this is just conjecture on my part from study, from thought process. I believe that Joshua knew that if he, the sun set on that battle, that there might be a regroup, and not that they would lose the battle because God had already promised them, but that they might lose lives because of the battle. And so Joshua says, you know what? Let's get creative. Yeah, I know the sun rises and the sun sets and it moves on its own, but God, how about you just do me a favor and cause that sun to stand still for just a few minutes? Let us, let us finish this battle. And if you think about it, how ridiculous is that thought? I mean, serious, here's the, here's the thing. We get so wrapped up in, in what we think. And we get so wrapped up in asking God for something that we feel like, okay, I got to have the right words. I got to articulate this properly so that he knows what I'm talking about. And Joshua, who is considered a mighty man of God, he just said, God, let cause the sun to stand still, please. The sun doesn't even move. It's the earth that rotates around the sun, but he's like, sun stand still. Why? Because most everything in scripture, you can find this to be true as a theme of all scripture, is all viewed from what people see, not necessarily what is scientifically true, but it's what they see. And if you stand out there, you see the sun moving. You don't see the earth spinning because you're standing on it, but you do see the sun setting and the sun rising, right? So his thought was, and it's not a lack of education, it's just, this is what I see. God caused that sun to stand still. That's just ridiculous. Ridiculous. Like, who Who do you think you are? God, okay, just change the way you created things for just a few minutes so that we can win this battle. See, he needed this battle time prolonged a little bit longer so that the enemy couldn't regroup. And so from this story, from this idea, I'm going to give you a few things, a few thoughts, when it comes to countercultural faith. And the first is rather simple-sounding idea. But it is the beginning, and it's in a lot of ways one of the most difficult parts. It's actually, I think, where people fail the most. And it's very simply, you received the the fill-in-the-blank sheet as you walked in. It's the first, first two blanks on that. It's very simply, choose faith. See, when times are challenging and there are obstacles all around you, we get the opportunity to choose. Here's the choice. Am I going to face adversity in my own strength? Am I going to figure this out? Am I going to try and make this work on my own? How many times have you heard people say, hey, we're faced with this, this thing, but you know what? We're going to figure it out. That's what they say. It's, it's the natural inclination. Hey, we're faced with adversity. We're going to figure this out. And this might just sound like it's a play on words, but i tell you what. Words are some of the most powerful things that are ever, that there is in, the, in, in all of creation Instead of it being, okay, we're going to figure this thing out. How about you say, you know what? Yeah, I'm faced with this adversity, but you know what? God's already got it figured out. All I have to do is just walk the path. So we don't think of it that way. We think, okay, we're going to figure this out. And then we sit down and we rack our brains. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? How are we going to overcome this adversity? So you have a choice. Am I going to face this adversity in my own strength or am I going to choose faith? Faith. Am I going to acknowledge that the strength and the power and the wisdom and everything that I need and love is coming from God into this situation? Or am I going to look to my own ideas? Will I allow the fullness of God, His power, His strength, His wisdom, His love to flow through me in this situation? Or am I going to look for it on my own? That's the idea of choosing faith. But what is faith in in itself? See, we have this... This, this ambiguous idea of what faith is. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 tells us what faith is. We don't need to add to it. It's very simply. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for, and it is the evidence of things we cannot see. That doesn't even make sense. Faith shows me the reality of something that I hope for, and it's evidence of something I cannot see. That doesn't even make sense, but that's faith. If you look at it, you're, if, you, if you look at the idea in this story, We're confronted with this choice over and over and over again in our daily lives. Joshua chose faith. All the way back in chapter 1, Joshua chose faith. Moses has died. God speaks to Joshua and lets him know, it's your turn, Joshua. I'm going to be with you. Lead my people into the promised land. I can't even imagine that that was probably an easy process for Joshua. Because now Joshua, understand, just lost Moses. Just lost his mentor, his teacher, his spiritual father, he just lost this great man who Moses in that time, let me try to make this a little bit more now to understand. Moses in that time was a rock star in the nation of Israel. When he arrived on the scene, everybody was like, oh, that's Moses. He was a rock star of that age. It's kind of like if you grew up listening to music in the 1980s, There's an undisputable fact of who the rock stars were of the 1980s when it comes to rock music. It's indisputable. You want to argue with me, I'll be glad to take you to lunch, buy you lunch, and argue with you. But the, the undisputable rock star champion of the 1980s was a band called Metallica. They sold out shows everywhere they went. Don't judge me, I've seen them about 14 times. But they were they were this, they had this following. I remember I went to see them in Philadelphia. It was a free concert. And I went to see them in Philadelphia, and I backed my truck, my pickup truck. I had an old 1986 Dodge Ram D50 pickup truck. It didn't even have floorboards on it. It was like Fred Flintstone running to get the thing started, and sometimes that's what I had to do. It was the ugliest, most beat-up truck you'd ever see. But I drove it to Philadelphia from Baltimore, which, thank God, was only an hour, and I backed it up to a fence. The gate, the great, the. the barrier gate to the stage three days before the concert. I slept in my truck for three days. Why? Because I wanted to see that concert and it was free. That's who they were. So that's my fun way of saying, this is how Joshua was looking at Moses. He's like, this is, whoa, the nation of Israel is looking at Moses like this guy is a rock star of all rock stars. How can I possibly follow in their footsteps? And if you look at music to this day, no one has ever been able to follow in those types of footsteps. You have to like rock music for this. And then even if you don't, you can still acknowledge that they are great. All right, I digress. Let me move on. So he's got this, he's got this challenge already facing him. He's got to do something that, that Moses couldn't even do. His hero couldn't even do it. Wait a minute, God, you want me to do something that my hero couldn't even do? You want me to take the nation of Israel into the middle of the promised land that you gave us, but Moses himself, who you promised it, he couldn't do it, but I'm going to do it? See, this is the mentality that we take whenever God says he wants us to do something. I took the same mentality when he said, move to Peoria and start a church. It's like, you want me to do what? You're crazy. And then I meet somebody like Nate, and he's like, you're having church in a movie theater? What? That's crazy. Who has church in a movie theater? I was like, this guy. Same guy, waited three days for a concert. But so Joshua made this choice. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 11, this is what happened. So he, he has this conversation with God. And then he says in verse 11, he pulls, he calls all of his leadership. He calls, he calls the people that are devoted to following him. And he says, go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days, you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord God has giving you. That was his choice. He chose faith. He said, in three days, we're going to cross this river. In th- go gather all your stuff because in three days, we're crossing this river and it's done. There wasn't even a doubt. Moses had, given, had submitted it to the vote of the people. And said, what would you like to do? And they said, oh, we're going to stay right here. We don't want the big grapes. We don't, want the, we don't want the beauty and the glory of the promised land that flows with the milk and honey. We just want to eat this stuff that's raining down from heaven. And we'll just stay right here. It's safe here. Joshua didn't even give him a chance. He said, "Now, get your stuff together. We're going. No option. No chances. Let's go. So he made that choice. He chose faith. The second thing in this story that you will find is that there's a choice of faith, and we think that's where it ends, but the reality is after you've made that choice, you have to do something else, and it's called speak faith. So we think we can just make a choice and not speak. That's actually not how the process works. You have to speak faith. At every turn, Joshua spoke with authority and power concerning what God had said to him. If you read the story from Joshua chapter 1 all the way through the entire book, you will find Joshua continuously speaking faith into what was going on. Every single turn, faced with giants, faced with walls, faced with all these things, he's speaking faith into every single situation. And this is also what God told him as part of the conversation. He said, if you, if you look where it says, study the word, I, I, I'm a fan of the New Living Translation. Because I like how it says, I how, like how it reads. It's understandable. But in order to truly understand that phrase, you got to take it back to the original language. In the original language, when it says, study the word, it literally means, do not let the word leave your mouth. Do not let the word depart from your mouth. What does that mean? It should be in your mouth. And coming out of your mouth as you speak it every day. Speaking the gospel, speaking the word of faith. It was an instruction that God had even given Moses. As a matter of fact, Jesus did the same exact thing in Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to 23. He said, Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. Notice what he said. Have faith in God, say, Choose faith then speak. Choose faith, then speak. We choose faith, but then speak against our faith with the way we look at our situations. Oh, woe is me. I don't have enough money to pay my bills. Or woe is me. My my body is aching. I'm just going to lay in bed today because I'm aching. And I get those those things are realities. They're true. I'm not negating that by any means. As a matter of fact, a great uh, theologian once said, he was talking to his daughter, and his daughter said, Daddy, my head hurts. And he said to his daughter, Well, don't say that your head hurts. Okay, then what should I say? Say, I believe I am healed. She said, Okay, Daddy, I believe I am healed, but my head still hurts. And it's not that it's not true, it's a statement of two realities. And whichever one you focus on is going to be the one that grows. You literally can focus yourself on the the fact that you are healed of your headache. And guess what you will be? Healed from your headache. But you have to choose faith and then speak. Choose faith and then speak. Jesus instructed the people to use their mouths to speak faith. Matter of fact, salvation itself, salvation, the whole point of everything ever preached is all about the salvation of Jesus Christ. Every single message preached across every single church in the world today should end with the salvation in Christ because that's the point. Doesn't make, I don't care what you preach, whether you preach on faith, you preach on parenting, you preach on justice or mercy or grace or whatever. It should always end in salvation. And what does it say? You must believe in your heart and then do what? Confess with your mouth. You have to speak. You can't just choose faith. You have to speak faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says, But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said... I believed God, so I spoke. There's this, there's this, and I'm not talking about name it and claim it, prosperity gospel. That's not even a thing. It's not a thing. Not a biblical thing anyway. I'm talking about you believe what God has given you. You believe what he has spoken to. You believe the promises that are written in scripture and you speak them. And you speak them over your heart. You speak them over your life. You need healing. Well, I believe I am healed. Why? Because the Bible says that Jesus bore the stripes on his back for my healing so that I would be made whole. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray and believe that I'm healed and I'm going to speak it. It's like one of my favorite stories. And I've shared this, I don't know, maybe a dozen or more times in this church. And I'm going to probably share it until I die because it's my, one of my favorite now faith stories that comes out of the mouth of a child. And it came from my own child dealing with type, type 1 diabetes, the injection would be into her thigh, and with every single injection of insulin, it would be like, I believe I am healed in the name of Jesus. Every single one, without fail, speaking healing. And here we are, seven years later, eight years later, still speaking healing. See, we grow weary because after we've spoken it once or twice, it hasn't happened. Oh, well, it just may be the will of God. It is the will of God that you are healed. That's the only way I know to pray. When someone asks me to pray, I only know to pray for healing. If someone's lying on their deathbed, I only know to pray to wake them up, until the Lord takes them home and says, "That's it. then okay, then they're, they're healed now. It's, just, it's perspective. it's the change of thought process. It's all these things. So you have to choose faith. you have to speak. And then number three, this is the actual progression. Number three, you have to expect to hear God, hear from God when you ask with boldness. This brings us right back to our story. In verse 12, on the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel and said, Let the sun stand still over Gibeon. He spoke something so outlandishly ridiculous, but he said it and completely expected God to do it. It wasn't even a thought that God wouldn't do it. Why? Because God told him you'll have the victory. I will give you the Amorites. He knew logic said that if it gets dark, they can regroup. If God's given us victory, that just must mean he wants us to have more light. So God, hold that sun up a little longer, please. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. But he asked and he expected God to move when he asked. He was bold in the way he asked. And not just what what scripture says. Joshua prayed. Here's the thing. Here's, here's how you know you're being bold. Some folks say, oh, I'm bold because I ask. Here's how you really know if you're being bold. You ready for this? Do you ask in front of someone else? And I see, we don't do that. It's like, oh, if I ask in front of someone else and it doesn't happen, I'm going to look stupid. Maybe in their eyes. But in the eyes of God, you're asking with faith. You're speaking with boldness. You know how many times I've asked for something, God to do something miraculous and instantaneous in a moment, expecting him to do it, and then it doesn't happen? I'm like, okay. Okay. It's cool. He'll do it whenever he's ready. It's, it's, it's just a mentality. It's a way of thinking that, that we have to embrace, that there's this boldness in the way we ask. But to do it in front of people, not just, here's the thing, it's not just doing it in front of people, but doing it in front of people, he's leading in the battle. They're fighting. They're battling. And right now, he's saying, hey, God, make, it, make the sun shine a little bit longer. I'm sure, I don't know about you, maybe it's just me and my part cynicism. I'm, I'm thinking I hear that spoken while I'm battling. I'm like, what did he just say? Did he just say, stop the sun from moving? What's wrong with him? He's crazy. Because there's, there's this, there's this there's whole other level of boldness when you speak, but you speak it in front of others. What would the look be on your face? Put yourself in the middle of that battle if you can. And you heard those words. God caused the sun to stand still. The look on your face with all the science that you know would probably be worse than a look on their face. Like this is foolishness, but there's a boldness when it comes to the ask. Ephesians chapter three, verse 12, the Bible says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Boldly and confidently. There's two parts to that. I come boldly, which means I'm about to say something that's ridiculous that most people are gonna be like you're nuts, and then I'm confident that God's gonna do what I what I asked Him to do. But I genuinely believe that here's what I believe about life and your life and my life and all of our lives collectively. Here's what I believe. That if we don't have some kind of vision for our lives, whether it be for our ministry, for our family, for our household, for our city, for whatever. If we don't have some kind of vision of boldness in our lives, if we don't have some kind of vision that is this, of this size, that it is, doesn't intimidate you, then let me just say it like this. It's not big enough. We mostly get this idea or this vision for our life or the promise or the faith step that we want, and we often put it within the context of what we can rationalize in our little three-pound brain. And I can tell you this for sure, that if I can take all the glory of God, rationalize it in this three-pound brain here, then that's a God who's not worth worshiping. He's got to be way outside of the context of what I can understand. He's got to function way outside of what I think is even the realm of possibility. But if I don't have a vision or a dream for my life, for my family, for my situation, for my household, whatever the case may be, for my city, if it is not so big that it's not intimidating, number one, and cause other people to look at me like I'm stupid, number two, then it's not big enough. Because this is the idea. God wants great things, I mean, Jesus even spoke it. I'll get to that in just a 2nd get ahead of myself. The idea is very simply, change the perspective that you have on faith. Change the words that are coming out of your mouth. What do you believe? And then speak it. Don't be afraid if, you're, if you miss it. Don't be even afraid if it doesn't happen when, when, when you think it should, because it not, it's not going to. And don't and certainly don't be afraid if someone tells you you're foolish. Man, I tell you what, if I had a dollar for every person that told me I was foolish, whew, I'd be a wealthy man. I'd have bought this theater. You laugh, but I'm serious. I've been told I'm foolish a lot. Some of it for a good reason. But some of it just because the vision that God has given me for my life and for my city and for my church and for my family is just... I just want, I want to see great things, big things. I'm going to wrap this message up with one idea of making it practical. Worship team, you can come and get set. <clears throat> I hope some of this is helping you in your faith. The goal is to develop this countercultural faith that looks different, feels different, speaks different, acts different. And so here, at one I've got one simple make it practical step. Just One. And it's, 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 this is a rubber meets the road type moment for you. That's what this is. this is. This is your rubber meets the road moment. You hear it. Maybe you believe it. Maybe you don't. But there's one thing left to do. And for you, it's very simple. Make your move. When it comes to faith, make your move. Don't wait for God to give you the entire plan to take that step of faith and move not to, I'm, a lot of you have heard this story and I'll tell it very briefly. But when I felt the call of God to plant a church in the city of Peoria, I first rejected the whole notion of it. I'm like, no, nah, youth pastor, I'm good with that. But once I wrapped my mind around the idea that this is God's plan for my life, he, uh, he just unlocked visions and dreams in my mind that just were like, this is crazy. This is huge. I don't know that I can do this. I was intimidated. I doubted. I was fearful. And then God just said, Are you going to make your move or what? And I said, Yes. And I went to my pastor that very moment and said, I have to quit. And he looks at me like, What? I said, I have to. God's called me to plant a church in the city of Peoria and I got to leave. Because if I don't quit and I don't leave, I'm not doing what God's called me to do, so I got to quit. That sounds, that sounds like, oh, okay, you quit a job. No, you don't understand. I walked away from having any kind of income of security. My wife was not working. I, was, I, would, I'd say I just resigned my job. I was getting ready to take my family and move my wife and three kids to a city where I knew no one to start a church with no money. That's stupid. But that's sometimes what faith is. And it was that step of faith that I took that God started to put other things in place. My pastor said, please stay until the end of the year. I was like, thank you, Jesus. I wanted to stay until the end of the year. I did. I wanted. That was one, part of my plan that I was hoping for. But I knew I couldn't get to what I'd hoped for unless I actually took that first step and I made my move. And I'm not suggesting everybody in this building is called to plant the church or called to be on the mission field or called to do this, to do that. But sometimes it's as simple as taking a step of faith and telling someone at work, hey, Jesus loves you. And then we do it. We say, oh, well, I don't want to bash him over the head with the Bible. Well, then here, take mine and hit him with mine. If you don't want to hit him with yours, that's cool, hit him with mine. And I'm not talking about judgment. I'm not talking about condemnation. I'm talking about this is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is the Savior of the world. You have not told someone about him? Why? Why not? Why? Oh, I I want them to make their own. My children, I love my children. They're all three sitting here. You don't have a choice but to hear about Jesus every day of your life. When you're old and you're out of my house and I'm done paying your bills, then I don't care. You're in God's hands at that point. But while you're under my roof, you will hear Jesus every day. I got no shame in that. People are like, oh, you beat them over the head. My kids know I love them, and yes, I do beat them over the head with the Bible. It's just you have, I'm I'm being funny, I know. I'm I'm being foolish even. But you have this this Jesus. You have this Savior of the world. You have the answer to every single problem that ails you, your friends, your family, your children, your household. Yet you hold it in in the name of I don't, I'm scared that they were going to react poorly. Got to get past that. Make a move. Make your move for faith. Jesus said himself, John 14, 12 through 14, I'm going to end with this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. We have become such passive believers. We have become, oh, if it be thy will, believers. Jesus said, You're going to do greater works than me. And he wasn't talking about bigger things because it doesn't get much bigger than raising someone from the dead. He's saying, You're going to be able to do more than me because my time is done. My ministry is finished. I'm going to be with the Father. You can do even more than I ever was able to accomplish. The word greater is not a, in stature, but it's in quantity. That's what that word means in the original language. It's quantity. You're going to do more than Jesus ever did because you're still here. You're still breathing. I've been, I've been in ministry full time now for, holy cow, it's more years than I thought, 14 years. And my challenge is, have I accomplished more than Jesus? Not in greater works, but in more works. And if he could accomplish what he did in three years, what is holding me back in 14 these are the thoughts processes these are the make your moves the steps of faith maybe your step of faith is very simply saying God I'm going to be obedient to you in studying scripture maybe your step of faith is I'm going to be obedient to you in the tithe that I'm going to actually give to you God expecting what oh wait a minute you said if I test you in this you're going to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing I cannot even hold wow if that's the case then my faith is what keeps me from testing God somebody, everybody's step, everybody's move is different, but you have to make one because you got to remember faith without the work is dead. It's no faith.